Our scripture passage today is from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Before we read this, let us pause for a moment in prayer. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that you have given to us, for the word that you pro proclaimed to your prophets, Lord, and to your seers and to your people. Lord, we thank you for the word that dwells in our hearts. Lord, we thank you for the word that has written to us, passed down through the ages, and given so that we may read and understand your will. But Father, without the Spirit that inspired these words to inspire us again, we can understand none of these things here. So, Lord, we open our hearts and minds to you and ask that Holy Spirit illuminate us now. That as we read, that as we hear, we may also understand. Lord, bless this holy reading of your holy word, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 to 11. 11. Listen now to the word of the Lord. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> a wise man once said that you can learn more from life by watching and talking with children than you can reading all the books of the learned men and the philosophers of your age. And I think he was right, whoever it was that said that. I, I, I think he was dead on when he said we can learn so much about life just from watching and interacting and talking with children. I know that I've learned a lot from just raising four kids of my own, or at least in the middle of raising four kids of my own. And the kids, what's neat is they can challenge you about some assumptions that you have just begun to take for granted, that you have just assumed is a part of life, yet they will bring up these questions about it that will make you think about it all over again. And then discover that you really don't have a good answer for it after all. 
One of these moments involved uh, one of my sons. We, had, we were at the lake, and we were fishing, and he got bit by a fire ant. Now, this is the South, right? You live here long enough, you're going to get bit by a fire ant. It's not a if you get bit, it's when you get bit by a fire ant. And we've come to accept it as a part of life. You just get fire ants, that's all. You just get bit by them. But my son, he was about four or five years old, and he had not yet been resigned to the fire ant problem. And he asked me a profound question. He said, Dad, why did God have to make fire ants? And I got to say, in all my seminary training, and all my knowledge of the Bible and reading the theologians and the philosophers, I did not have a good answer for why God had created fire ants. But getting to this question with my son, it, it was neat to see him struggle taking something that happened in his life and trying to make meaning out of it. And it just struck me what a unique feature it is and how just ingrained, deeply ingrained it is in us for us to look for meaning in what happens in our life. doesn't matter how young we are. We start at a very young age. That's why kids, they get into that why phase. If you ever had kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Why? Why is this? Why is this? Why do we do this? Why? 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 It can go on for hours. As long as you answer them, they'll come back with a why. But they're searching for meaning. They're searching for a sense of purpose to make, to make sense out of their life. And, and they do it with everything. We do it with everything, even, even with clouds. Just these big, puffy accumulations of moisture in the sky. But we look at clouds and we see a rhinoceros or an elephant or a dragon or a castle. It's just part of human life for us to try to make meaning out of what happens to us. So unique feature to humans being the only animals that we, we struggle with meaning and we wonder about life, about the purpose, about the grand design. Like, why is it we're here? What are we doing? What's the meaning of all this stuff that's going on with us? And at the same time that we, that we struggle with this meaning, we're also faced with this awful conundrum that we can't figure it out. We struggle and we search for meaning. We have this great desire to figure it out, but at the same time, we can't figure it out. Our minds are just too small to make sense of it. I mean, I know my mind's too small. I can't even make sense out of fire ants. I certainly can't make sense out of the, the grand scheme and the meaning of our life. And today in this passage I read to you from Ecclesiastes, and in, in, in verse 11, it, he puts it perfectly. This is what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. He said, God has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. God has put eternity into man's hearts, yet so that he cannot fin find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So first off, God has put eternity into our hearts. Into every one of our hearts, he has put this idea of eternity. And that's where and why we search for meaning. Is because there's something in us, in our hearts, our minds, and souls, that feels like there's something bigger. There's this eternity. There's more than just this life on earth. There's more than just being born and eating and drinking and building homes and having kids and working and then dying because we have this sense of eternity in our hearts. So we know that there's something bigger, that, that, that it fits in a bigger context. That's the eternity 
that God has put in our hearts, why we make sense of it, why we try to make sense of it, why we wonder, why we wonder what this bigger design is, why we ask questions like, why did God make fire ants? So, so he's put this eternity into our hearts, but he's given it a twist as well. And the twist is, we can't figure it out. That's what, that's what Solomon said. He's put it in it so that we cannot find out what God is doing from the beginning to the end. So he's put this desire for meaning, this sense that there is something bigger out there, this sense that there is some grander scheme, but at the same time, he's put it in our hearts in a way that we can't figure out what that grand scheme is. Like I said, it's, it's a little twist he's put on it, but it almost seems like a cruel twist. God, would, why would he set us up for something that we're destined to fail at? Why would he put in our hearts this, this search and this yearning for meaning, but at the same time not be able to figure out what that meaning is? Why would he have us on this search, on this quest to find significance in the pain and the suffering that we go through life if there's no way we can figure it out. This was part of King Solomon's frustration. This was part of the reason why he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. As he's saying, God, you have put this desire on my heart, but I can't seem to fulfill it. And, and when I get into that place, I feel like I feel like life is meaningless. And I ask myself, what's the point? And I say things like, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Life is but a chasing after the wind. And so Solomon steps back and he starts to look at life and examine life. About what happens, about our situation and where we are placed. And, and in this part, he notices that there is a time and a season for everything that happens in heaven and in earth. And he gives us today this, this exhaustive list. Time to be born, there's a time to die, there's a time to plant, there's a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to seek, a time for lose, a time for war, a time for peace. There's even a time for killing and for healing. And all these times made for really good for material for Pete Seeger to write a hit song that I know was in all of your heads when I was reading this passage. And yes, it was probably a little mean to get Julie to play that at the end of it to even put that song deeper in your heads but if you know the passage and you know the song you'll notice that in this list that there are a lot of good times there are a lot of great times in here there's times to be born times to have children born to us there's times to for peace there's times to love there's times to dance there's times to laugh but when you read this list we also can't help but notice there's some other not-so-great times. Times to die. Times to kill. Times to weep. Times for war. Times to tear. Times to mourn. Now, none of us hardly ever have problems with these good times. Right? That's what makes life worthwhile. God has given us these times and He's blessed us with these times to enjoy Him. Have a good time. Times to party and to, and to sing karaoke and to make complete fools of ourselves in front of our friends 
and to enjoy every single minute of it. But these other times are the ones that we try to avoid. Times that we hate with every fiber of our being and we wonder, why is this happening? Why is it happening to me? Is God behind this? Is he, is he punishing me? Is he making me weep? Is he causing this? Is, does he hate me? <clears throat> now we have no trouble explaining the good times. It's God's blessing. God wants us to be happy. However, we find it quite impossible to explain the pain. We find I have a trouble to make any sense of it at all. Why, God, did you have to make fire ants? <clears throat> well, I want you to, for a minute, try to imagine life without any hardship at all. Just think for a minute what life would be like if you had no hardship at all. You never experienced any pain. You never experienced any disappointment. You had everything you've ever wanted given to you. Never knew a minute of hunger, never knew a minute of want. Every desire you ever wanted in your life was fulfilled the minute you desired it. Just think, imagine what kind of life that would be. I mean, as, as, as enticing as it may sound, if you think about it, it, it really doesn't sound like a great life. It's like when you uh, get the new football game. If you ever played the old football games on Nintendo, you can put it on rookie mode, and you can, like, throw a 60-yard pass every single play and score a touchdown on every one and I mean it's about fun for about all of, I don't know 10 minutes and then it gets dull and it seems we need some sort of challenge in life and we need some sort of challenge and we need even some sort of hardship that's how we grow and that's how we mature we face difficulty we face hardship we face struggle we overcome it we become stronger. We find in a life where we just have everything we want handed to us is actually a life that is disappointing and in fact meaningless. The Christian writer G.K. Chesterton once said that weariness of life doesn't come from weariness of pain. It comes from weariness of pleasure. But the weariness of life is not from weariness of pain, it's from weariness of pleasure. And this is exactly the crisis that King Solomon found himself in. When he asked questions like vanity of vanities and what's the point and life is but a chasing of the wind, it wasn't because he was experiencing too much pain. It's because he had experienced too much enjoyment. He even talks about all the money he had, all the power he possessed, all the pleasure that was at his fingertips. And there was so much of it. So much of it that it brought him to a crisis of meaning. It wasn't that the pain hurt him so much he asked about the meaning of life. It was that the pleasure was too great for him. And he asked, what's the point in all this? And in that, his crisis is probably, his life rather, is a lot like the modern middle class American life that we too experience. But at the same time, Imagine a life that was nothing but pain. Imagine a life where you had nothing but hardship, 
nothing but grief, nothing but starvation and pain and fear and no friends, no family, no solace, no one to love you. And it was, life was moving from one terrible moment to the next. Where could you possibly find meaning in that? Why would you want to find meaning or, or even live the next day if that's all that we experienced in life? If we were just simply made to suffer. Thankfully, God has given us none of those lives. A life of complete and utter enjoyment, nor has he given us a life of nothing but pain and suffering and misery. Instead, he has given a time and a season for everything. The good and the bad alike. And we all get those seasons. It doesn't matter how, how rich you're born or how poor you are. It doesn't matter how fortunate you've been born or how unlucky you are. It doesn't matter how many seemingly good things have always happened to you in life and lucky and blessed you seem to be or how it seems like life is just a curse and a burden. In truth, we get all these times. We get the victories and we get the defeats. We get times of abundance. We get times of want and lacking. We all get times of joy. We all get times of sadness. There's a time, it seems, for all of this, for everything that happens, and there is nobody born on this earth that can avoid it. There's simply a time and a season for everything that happens under heaven. But Solomon goes a bit further here in this passage. In verse 11, not only does he say there's a time for everything, but he also says everything is beautiful in its time. Think about that one for a minute. Everything is beautiful in its time. So not only is there a time for everything, there was a beauty in these times. There was something profound and meaningful in moments of both joy and in sorrow. Now that's not to say we can always see the beauty in these times. I know the times when I'm, in miserable, I'm miserable, the only thing that I can see is my misery. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm probably the first one to yell at God and ask Him why in the world are you doing this to me? It makes no sense at all. I have no idea where you're going here. Oftentimes, I will admit, I look back and I see what I went through was not only very meaningful, but beautiful as well. And in some of my darkest hours, I beheld some of the profoundest beauty that God has ever shown to my eyes. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking there got to be exceptions to that. There are times of extraordinary cruelty and hardship and suffering that people go through that there's no way we could possibly find any meaning. There's certainly not beauty in it. And I'm going to admit, there's some, there's some ones that are hard for me to figure out. I'm not claiming up here that I have all the answers at all. There are some times, and I hear of some suffering, that I simply can't make sense of it. And sometimes we're just not looking deep enough. I know war is awful. War itself is brutal. But war is also full of heroism 
and it's full of sacrifice. And men and women dying on the field of battle is ugly, and there's no way around it. It is simply ugly. But men and women giving their life to defend their homes or giving their life for the cause of freedom, there is a beauty to that. There is a profound beauty in that. And we can even take some of the, the worst moments in human history, the Holocaust that happened in Nazi Germany, one of the ugliest times humanity has ever experienced. But even in those moments, we find moments of bravery and endurance. We find moments of great faith. We find moments of risk. We find small groups of powerless people standing up to what seemed to be an unbeatable power marching across the face of the earth. And there is a beauty even in that. Hardship and distress and disaster, yeah, they show humanity at its very worst. But these are also the opportunities that we have to be truly noble. To be something more than the selfish animals that we usually are. And there is a beauty in that. When I worked in hospice, I spent a lot of time with people trying to make sense of what appeared to be completely senseless. People dealing with a terminal cancer, dealing with chronic pain, dealing with grief that wouldn't go away. And on the surface and in it, as we were living it, it did seem completely and utterly senseless. Very hard to make sense of it. But in my time with these patients and talking with them, it, I came to this analogy about life and the suffering we go through and what the meaning might possibly be. I began to look at life like it's a tapestry. Like those medieval tapestries you see, or you make some today where it's a, it's a picture made out of strands of thread. And on these strands of thread, you've got this beautiful picture that's being made. But this beautiful picture is made out of individual threads. And if you take the individual thread and you pull it and you look at it, all you see is just colors. Here's a, a light part. Here's a dark part. Here's a yellow. There's a green. There's an orange. It doesn't make any sense. Just random colors and shades on a thread. And if you look at our life, look at the thread of our life, we just see the same thing. Here's a good moment. Here's a bad moment. Oh, look, here was a birth and a celebration. Oh, look, here was grief after the loss of a loved one. Oh, look, here's financial hardship. Oh, look, there's a great windfall from an investment. Oh, here's times of great joy, a marriage. Oh, here's loss and pain and heartache. Just random moments strung out on a thread and by themselves when you look at it, they don't make any sense at all. But when you take the thread and you weave it into a tapestry, and then you take a step back and you look at it, you find it makes this beautiful picture. And that, that individual thread and these individual colors that made no sense by themselves when they put into the context of the whole tapestry and the great work, not only do they make sense, they make something very beautiful as well. I believe one day we will see our lives woven into a fabric just like this. A tapestry that God has woven from the entire universe 
And all these times, all these moments in our life will make sense. When we see this beautiful design that God has made from my life and from your life and from all of our lives, the good times and the bad, every time and season that is under heaven. Now I know some people may accuse me of trivializing pain and trivializing suffering, a lot of which I've never experienced myself. They'll say I dare to call something awful that happens and even evil to say it's beautiful. I'm not saying that and I'm certainly not trying to trivialize anybody's suffering. But I refuse to believe that life doesn't have meaning. I refuse to believe that even our pain doesn't have meaning. And I will not apologize for believing that. God has put eternity into my heart. One day I will know why. Just not today. I also believe that life is beautiful. I believe that there is a time and a season for everything under heaven. I believe that God has made everything beautiful in its time. And I believe one day we will all not only see that beauty in the end, but experience it for ourselves. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.